This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm Allie Feller and I'm your host. I'm a freelance writer and editor, I'm a seven-time marathoner, and I'm a new mom to six-month-old Annie. Every week on the Alley on the Run show, I talk with inspiring men and women who lead interesting lives on the run and beyond. And while running is what brings us all together, on these episodes, I'm looking for more. So join me right here every Thursday to learn about the decisions people have made to get where they are today, the good ones, and of course the bad ones, and how getting sweaty has factored in. Today's guest is an absolutely amazing woman, and I cannot believe it took me 132 episodes to get her on the show. Kate Landau will be running the Boston Marathon on Monday, and at 42 years old, she is gunning for a time in the two-hour, 30-minute range. You don't need me to tell you that that is fast. But the road to a 233 marathon, that's her current personal record, has not been easy for Kate. She started running when she was young and was an immediate superstar in her hometown, but a very serious eating disorder derailed that superstardom. For nearly 20 years, Kate struggled with anorexia, which eventually took running away from her entirely. It wasn't until after having her daughter Grace that Kate got back on the run. Today, she's a single mom, a physician's assistant, and a multiple-time marathon winner. Last year, she won the Eugene Marathon, and she recently won the Miami Marathon, which even included making a bathroom stop, so my hero. After Boston, Kate has her sights set on the 2020 Olympic Trials, which she has already qualified for. So lots to get into here. Uh, Just a heads up, the audio is a bit sketchy in a few spots. We ran into a couple issues with our Wi-Fi, but stick with us. This episode is packed with great insights, important storytelling, and some key takeaways. Let's do this. Kate, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I cannot even tell you how excited I am for this conversation. So thanks for jumping on with me today. Thank you, Ali. I'm super excited too. This is, uh, I feel very honored to be on your podcast. No. I've been listening for a while. so I feel honored to get honor. to talk to you. You're the coolest. You're like my mom idol, my running idol. So we have a lot to talk <laughs> about. Before we do that, you've listened to the show. You know what's up. We need to start with a warm up. So tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. All right. My name is Kate Landau. I am a Originally from upstate New York and currently living in Jacksonville, Florida. And I am a mom and a runner and a physician assistant. And uh, yeah, I think those were the questions, right? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Okay, (laughs) so let's start. There's, you know, I want to talk mom stuff. We need to talk PA stuff because I think people who work in the medical world are just the heroes that we all need. But we have to talk running first. You have a freaking... 233 marathon PR? Yeah, um, in Chicago this past fall. And so 2018 when I was, um, I'm 42 now, but I just had turned 42 the month before. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty. uh, Yeah, yeah, no big deal. No big deal. 233. (laughs) Never expected it. Okay. So what is the road to getting to a 233 marathon PR? And let's just, let's go back to the beginning. You've been running pretty much your whole life. How did you first get into running? Uh, yeah, so running pretty much my whole life, except I had a 15 year hiatus. So I started kind of 
I get some officially, I guess when I was like uh, in seventh grade, but I got to say it goes back um, a little bit before that when I was in first and second grade racing the boys around the school and around the soccer field and gym. I think that's when my competitive spirit really got lit. And I've heard I have heard other runners kind of say the same thing. But for me, I mean, I can remember the two boys that I would race at race at gym and they were. Christopher Ronquise and Brian Green. So to beat them, I wanted to beat them every single day. And (laughs) so that was my goal. And then, um, yeah, and then so I started running junior high cross country in seventh grade, kind of following my sister's footsteps. And I had done the junior Olympics like in sixth grade. And then for after a couple weeks in seventh grade, I was moved up to varsity. Um, So it kind of was a quick... uh, quick um, step up into competing against people that were five years older than me. Hold up. You um, just like casually mentioned, yeah, I did the junior Olympics. I feel like that's a really big deal. Oh, I don't, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you don't just sign up. How do you, how do you compete at the junior Olympics? How does that happen? Um, so there's like, there's qualifying races and, um, but this was like a long time ago, right? So this was how many years ago? Like, 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. So I think the, I don't know what, what the junior Olympics are now, but the junior Olympics back then, I, I think were not quite like as, um, elite as it sounds. So yeah, you, you had to qualify for it. And like you had to, you would travel. I, one of them was in uh, Alabama and the other was in Reno, Nevada that I did. But, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Looking back, I don't, I didn't think of it as anything like super, that's like, crazy. <laughs> no, I'm, I need to, I'll have to remind myself, I'm going to put like a poll on Instagram stories to see, like, did you compete at the Junior Olympics? And I'm pretty <laughs> sure the majority of people are going to say no. And that will solidify my point that it's a big deal. So, yeah. so you mentioned that competitive spirit as young as like first and second grade. Is that something that's all internal? Was your sister competitive? Were your parents pushing that? Or where did that come from? I think a lot of it is internal, but a lot, some of it's genetic. Like I, my whole father's side of the family is very athletic. And my cousin was like training to be an Olympic gymnast. And my uncle has done like crazy, like ride across the country on his bike when he's 60 years old, all by himself. And like, so there's this like, definitely push yourself, um, thing in our in my genetics (laughs) but I don't my parents definitely didn't push us athletically and you know I but I always had something in me like I wanted to this is kind of like embarrassing to admit but I always wanted to do better than my older sister and make sure that I would would do more than my younger sister ever could once she got to the age that I was. So it was just like, I want it to be the best. And that was like from, yeah, as far back as I can remember. Um, so it's a little bit, ext- I'm not that extreme anymore. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Were you and your sisters close? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as kids, like, we're, so we're three years apart on both sides. I'm the middle child. Um, and, um, we, you know, growing up, we would play together and everything. I think as we got older, like my older sister, you know, she got into running and then I followed her, followed her into running. My younger sister, she 
because of my history and what happened um, later on, she definitely didn't want to become as intense about running as I I was or my older sister was. My older sister's Karen and my younger sister's Nancy. And so, yeah, we were close, I guess, in many ways, like as any siblings are. But um, but then, you know, there was there's there was there's always been a very independent side of me i i guess i can only speak for myself and so i would definitely be in my own world a lot too so. were you <laughs> were you competitive in other ways like were you competitive academically or was it really just running that brought that out um, I was competitive in every way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I figured that might be the answer. <laughs> so yeah, so I was I was valedictorian, and I um, also had this goal. Like I knew that there was this woman or this girl. It was a several years ahead of me who had the highest, you know, grade point average of, and I wanted to outdo that. And I think I did. Like we were graded on a like a hundred percent. You know, it was like it wasn't like A's or B's. It was like you got a number grade and. So I think I graduated with a 98.6 average because we didn't have like AP classes. It was a really small school. And then like I wrote, I was thinking about this when I was running because I, I thought this would come up. But I, I, would, I would be like, I would go out in the summertime and pick blueberries. I would be like, I am going to pick two gallons of blueberries. And I would go out there and just pick for hours by myself to achieve that goal. So wow. I would set, <laughs> I would just set goals and, and do that. And that was my thing. <laughs> like, did you ever and, like, n- did you ever set one of those goals, whether it was running or blueberry picking and you didn't achieve it? Huh? That's good. Um, I don't I like, I can't think of anything specific, quite honestly. Good. Like, I'm no, sure, I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> I worried sure for that is. answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there is. But even like, even like in college, when you know, I was competing at a pretty high level, and it would have been nice to like win NCAAs or something like that. That was never like my huge big goal, you know. Like it was just always like running a certain time that was my goal, or running a better time that I had. So I didn't have these. Oh, yeah, I can't think of anything real. <laughs> Good, I'm glad. Um, so as you're growing up and you're obviously really high achieving, what did you see in terms of a future for both running and career-wise? Did you have goal- specific goals and dreams in high school for your future? Yeah, so um, running-wise, like I gotta, I gotta admit, like I didn't have goals of going to the Olympics really. Um, you know, I wanted to get a scholarship and go to college and run. Um, competitively in in college, but you know, I, I, as we'll get to, like so much of my running was eating disorder um, driven in in many ways. That it was, I don't know, it was very like self focused rather than focusing about of competing against other people. And so I was always competing against myself or like pushing myself or you know somewhat of that you know the eating disorder driving me to you know run harder or faster for those reasons. But I didn't have, like, big goals for the Olympics or running professionally. Um, there was a short time where I was considering running professionally. But um, And then career-wise, because I was kind of always the top of my class, it was always – I always had it in my mind that I had to be a lawyer or a doctor. That's what I thought. And so I was pre-med in college, and I decided <laughs> – <laughs> I decided not to go to medical school. Kind of that's when I uh, – after college. 
college was when I kind of turned some of that competitive crazy drive off. And I was just like, I don't want to be stuck in the library all day for the next eight to 10 years or whatever it's going to be. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about the eating disorder stuff if we can. You've said you, it, it, this is like a 20 year span of your life and that it derailed running for 15 years. So talk to me about the, the eating disorder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that started, I, I think I, if I think back on it, it probably started in sixth or seventh grade with comments about me being beefier than my, um, one, one of my best friends that we was at the junior Olympics. I, I was, I had a crush on this guy that was like four years older than me. And he commented that I was beefy, but really it, it, that was just like a little bit, you know, in my back of my mind. And then I had really early success with running um, in seventh grade. I was second at the state meet, and I don't remember if I won indoors or whatever. I can't even quite remember. And then eighth grade, I won the state meet, won state federations in New York, which is the overall state meet for all classes. And so that I got a lot of um, attention pretty quickly. And um, part of the reason that my eating disorder started was I wanted to stay small. Like, I did not want to go through puberty. I had heard and seen, you know, stories of, of people who had gone through puberty and that had slowed them down. And I was, um, you know, totally afraid of that. So I think in ninth grade was when I started showing signs of going developing and I just put a halt to it. I lost I lost a few pounds right away and um, that put a halt to maturing and then uh, then it just started becoming, you know, I got just driven that way. Uh, it was just a cycle, a downward spiral, I guess. And in ninth grade, I actually had some medical issues, anemia and, you know, they weren't sure if I had mono and I think it was, that was just my eating disorder kind of, you know, me trying to control it and not really having control. I don't know how I even had to word it, but I mass I would say I mastered my eating disorder in, in 10th grade and in, in my sophomore year in high school. And that's when I had a lot of success. And then my, right before my junior year, my body crashed. So the mastering of my eating disorder only lasts really lasted a year of, you know, riding that high. And that's kind of typical of, um, anorexia anyway. Um, you know, I, I had probably been like 90 pounds and then I dropped to under like, 79 pounds in oh. my, uh, in my sophomore year. And I think I was I probably, I'm five, three now. I think I was five, two then, you know, so I was close to being admitted to an inpatient facility. But when I was right before my junior year in high school, um, we had this mile time trial that we're supposed to do. And I just, my body just failed. Like I should have run in like five fifteen or something. And I I think I was over six minutes. And so I was like way slower. My parents and my coaches got together and were like, Kate, you need treatment. So I went to an eating disorder psychiatrist. And basically I was told if you don't gain, if you don't get your weight up to 90 pounds, you can't run. You can't run until you're 90 pounds. And so running was so important to me. And I, you know, I would probably say, I don't know if I could say it was more important than my eating disorder to me at that point, but I was able to manipulate things. I was a master manipulator. So I got my weight up to 90 pounds, some of it by drinking lots of fluid before weigh-ins. Um, but I did that in a, in a rather short period of time in order to run again. And then I, I think I, I won the state meet like a couple weeks after just starting to, to, uh, run again. And that's when kind of my injury cycle started because I had gained 
you know, a large percentage of my body weight in a couple weeks and, and then had, had taken about a month or six weeks off or something like that from running. And then I start running hard and win the state meet. And then, um, I think I pulled an Achilles and then I got like a pubic stress fracture oh. after that. Yeah. <laughs> so that lasted, a, so that lasted, you know, that stress fracture lasted like two years to really fully heal. Cause I was so undernourished and everything. But I had had enough success earlier in in high school that I still was recruited for college, um, you know, for, yeah, for college scholarships and, and running and stuff. So, so um, did people know, like, <laughs> I mean, I know that you said when you tried to run that mile and it, you know, didn't go great and you were admitted, of course, people knew at that point. But like your family, was everyone aware for the you know, the year, like 10th grade, as you're really in this, did people know that you had an eating disorder or were you trying to hide it? I was definitely trying to hide it. And I was definitely, um, a master manipulator. So, um, my parents would bring things up and I would throw fits and, you know, my coach and I would have to meet periodically and discuss how much I was eating, but I just, I was really good at, at lying my way through getting real help or, you know, letting it like, you know, as, as is common with most addictions and most, you know, yeah, I was just, uh, I was that eating disorder controlled me. Obviously I didn't control it. Um, and it, it had, a it's, collar on me and <laughs> I like I and it just it, it changed my personality I think significantly so I was like a, a master manipulator and so people were aware at least people that were very close to me but and they tried to reach out but I just I just lashed out just enough to keep them off my back so until things got critical yeah you lied to the New York Times yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> they did a whole feature on you. I was reading it yesterday um, yeah. and I'm reading this and I knew like having known that you lied, the whole story is like, and I'm recovered now and I'm great. And I'm like, Kate, you're full of shit. And they have fact checkers there. So tell me about that. Like the New York Times comes oh my gosh, and is yeah. like, we're going to interview this so, wonderkind uh, runner. And you're like, here I go. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. Um, so I, I gotta say I was better at that point than I was in 10th grade. Like I was a hundred pounds rather than 79 pounds, and, but I was still like totally messed up and totally, it was just a, the eating disorder had changed in some ways, but it was still there and heavily there. And yes, and, and I knew it and yeah, I lied to the New York Times and Good Morning America. Oh my gosh. Good morning, America, at that same time. And I feel like (laughs) it's worth noting. Like, part of me is like, oh man, I like, I sound like a jerk right now because we're like joking and laughing. Obviously, (laughs) this is where I feel like I need to put the disclaimer. Like, this is obviously very serious stuff. And I think that it's, you know, we can talk about it so candidly like this because it was a long time ago because you're recovered now. So, talk to me about that road to recovery and why, yeah, now in your 40s, we can have this conversation of like, holy shit, like I was a different person then. So talk to me about, yeah. you know, talk to me about that road to getting where you are now. Uh, yeah. So I definitely feel like a completely different person. And there's, there's so much of that time period of my life that I don't remember. Wow. And to, to, to a greater extent than I think most people don't remember their youth. Um, and part of that has to do with, um, you know, being malnourished and part of it has to do with just like blacking it out. But 
So I had, you know, at least 25 stress fractures between 11th grade in high school and my fifth year at, at Georgetown. And so it was just a cycle of being injured and then having eight weeks off to heal from injury and then running again, getting in shape quickly, getting injured. And, um, and so my, and that, and, and the eating disorder w- was going on throughout my college career. You know, I, I just in crazy ways, I, w- I would just eat like just the way I ate was so <laughs> bizarre looking back on it. I did eat, but it was just the, like the most bizarre way. Like what? Um, which, so I, I would eat like, um, before a big, you know, our track workouts would be at two o'clock in the afternoon or something. And I would eat like two bagels the whole day. And then like afterwards, like a muffin for dinner or something like that. I can't, like, I can't remember specifically, but it was just like, or, or I'd, I would eat a bunch of candy and just to kind of like hold me over. Um, and yeah, so that was, short, quick energy. Like, you were getting like the yeah, the little, just yeah, enough sugar, just enough carbohydrates to get through your, what you yeah, had to do. Exa- exactly, exactly. So it wasn't like, you know, eating two bagels the entire day until, you know, at the workout and then barely eating any, any dinner afterwards, which, uh, you know, going back to how I, how, how I told the New York Times and Good Morning America that I was recovered, that was better than in high school when I was very even even more restricted to the point of you know counting counting calories in gum counting calories in the communion bread and the grape juice and and so it was it's it just it's it's crazy to think about so 25 stress fractures in you know a six or seven year period and then I my last NCA is at Georgetown I was running on a stress fracture and had just a terrible terrible race I was lapped probably a couple times by the winners and um, that's when I kind of decided to just throw in the towel and, you know, not continue running, running, not consider running professionally to move away. I had been, I had applied to Georgetown Medical School, but like, I just wanted to leave. I just wanted to start over and leave. So I decided to move to California and got a job there. I went to PA school instead of medical school. But during that time, eating disorder wise, things turned, like I stopped running, but I started cycling and um, going to the gym. And so what it turned into was me like going to the gym for an hour to an hour and a half on the Stairmaster every morning before work or school or whatever, and then riding my bike a couple hours after. And And the eating disorder was like not eating anything all day and then binging at night. And so through those years of what that exercise addiction and, and eating, weirdness my body went into like starvation mode and I gained actually a significant amount of weight and I was like 20 at least 20 pounds heavier than I am now but during that time you know not not menstruating I never I never actually got my my period naturally I went on birth control when I was 17 to to have some hormones once it was kind of determined that my bone density was low and then I would go on and off birth control throughout my twenties, just if I felt like it, I needed some hormones. (laughs) So, so yeah, that just, that, that exercise addiction and eating weirdness, binging, binging at night and then purging through exercise that continued through my twenties and early thirties. And so a similar, like my body just said, 
this is enough. I can't do this anymore. It happened when I was 34. It's similar to when I was a junior in high school and my body just kind of shut down. And it, it was like, I was used to riding my bike several hours a day. And then all of a sudden I, I was having a hard time completing like a 30 minute ride. And I just was really, really tired. And I went to a to see a doctor and I was like, you know, wondering if my cortisol was off or whatever. And she, she, we tested my hormones and I was really low. And she was like, maybe you're going through early menopause. I was like, my gosh, what? I'm 34. <laughs> so, so everything was just, my body was just shutting down. My, I was at, you know, my hormones were at the level of someone who was premenopausal, but that's just because I was, I, my body was in starvation mode pretty much. Even though my body weight was up, it was still, it, it, I, I was starving myself every day and then, and then binging. It was just a terrible cycle. It's just crazy. And so then it was just, I got to the point where I, so I had taken time off for work in order to plan a trip to go to the Grand Canyon and go hiking on my own. Um, just feeling like I just needed a vacation. I was so tired and just exhausted and stressed and, and I ended up spending the the ten days that I was going to spend spend um, at the Grand Canyon in bed watching Scrubs reruns, and just under the covers. And during that time was when I kind of just said, "I need I need help. I can't do this anymore." And I give up, like you know, not give up on life, but give up on fighting this eating disorder that was controlling me. And I knew it, but I just didn't I just didn't want to let go of it for so long. And so then I called, I, I Googled eating disorder specialists. I found um, a therapist who specialized in eating disorders. And then she set me up with a doctor who specialized in eating disorders and a nutritionist. And that became my, you know, my focus for the next several months. I continued to work, but um, thank God my, my workplace was very understanding. So they would, you know, allow me to leave early for my appointments and all. And so once I started that process and once I really decided that like I want to be done with this and I, I, you know, I had gone to therapy in the past, but never really had been, that had never been driven by my own desire to get help. It was always other people kind of pushing me to do it. But once I decided on my own um, and once I had hit that rock bottom, I, everything got better very quickly. Um, you know, I was started on Prozac, um, cause I was extremely depressed at that point. And it, it's pretty amazing within weeks, just the, my whole outlook on life really changed. <laughs> and, and so, uh, there, there's definitely something to be said for, um, antidepressants and medication when you need it. You know, I had been afraid to go out in public for several weeks, feeling like I was fat and ugly. And and then, you know, once I got on medication and got therapy and got treatment, it was, you know, I just became much more social. And that's when I went and adopted my dog Lila, and you know, was able was started hanging out at dog parks and meeting people. And I had kind of gone from being very antisocial to to a much more open and friendly person in a very short time. And um, getting back to like the antidepressant thing, um, I think something that's kind of significant is when I was um, a fifth year in, in college at Georgetown, I wrote my senior thesis on the association between um, eating disorders, alcoholism, depression, exercise addiction, 
and their relationship to serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And it was an extremely complex thesis, <laughs> but I, I think it's kind of interesting because like the whole exercise addiction thing came even after I wrote that thesis. Um, really? And yeah, like I mean, I, I had some level of exercise addiction during my eating disorder, but it get, definitely came went even more extreme in my 20s and early 30s. Um, so you became an expert on the topic and then you were like, let me get some firsthand experience. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, but um, you know, that just, I do definitely believe that, you know, there are genetic, and it's, it's, it's definitely, it's proven, but there are genetics that lead some people to have, eating disorders or problems with alcoholism and depression and those they are related to levels of serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine and and the way we cope with things can affect your your levels of neurotransmitters um and that's kind of what i have found in my recovery is how to cope with things a little bit better um but like yeah getting back to that uh, so I started seeing someone for my eating disorder in May of 2011, and then in September 2011, I met Grace's father, who is who was I think he, I think he's recovered now, but he was an addict at that point, and I was kind of in my, like pink cloud period of recovery where I was like, wow, this is just amazing. I can't believe there's you know this <laughs> like life can be this good. And so I met him and um, kind of tried to save him from his addictions and issues. And, and that was a very intense, brief relationship. But from that, Grace was uh, conceived, and I'm um, very grateful for that. And <laughs> so... she's the cutest. <laughs> yeah, she's just like she <laughs> your little buddy. I love following your adventures. Yeah, well, you and Annie are pretty adorable, too. <laughs> and Annie actually re- reminds me a little bit of Grace with her really? intensity. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, the intense the intense cries and the intense oh. faces and expressions. Dude, so. she's <laughs> zero to 100 in one second flat. She goes from laughing. Exactly. Like, she very rarely cries. Um, she just gets frustrated when she can't do certain things and she, and, you know, and I'm the same way. Like my yeah. husband tries to tell me like, I need to be patient. And I'm like, no, I don't want to figure out like how this thing works. I just want to be able to do it right now. Exactly. And so, oh my gosh, watching, I'm exactly like, yes. That. So watching her struggle and I'm like, babe, you're just trying to grab a sweet potato. Like it's okay. I'm, I'm going to help you and you're going to figure it out. And she like, doesn't trust the process. And so I'm like <gasps> learning from my five month old uh, yeah. lessons that, you know, we all should have learned when we were babies and hung on to, but it's like, it's a good reminder. Yeah. And that's so exactly the way I operate and Grace operates too. Like yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do, I do not like reading instructions for things like instruction manuals. I won't do it. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll get something, try to put it together. And if I can't figure it out, like garbage. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw it out. Yeah. Exactly. So, you, so you must do great at Ikea. You must really thrive there. 
I do not go to Ikea. No, you and me both. Um, okay. I, I do want to move on from the um, the okay. eating disorder stuff because there's so much to touch on. But before we do that, what advice do you have for for either women who might be going through this or for fellow mothers who are raising sons and daughters that, um, you know, want to teach them to sort of love their bodies, have good relationships with their bodies and, you know, just what's your what's your advice? You've really been through it, girlfriend. Yeah, I think my some advice for people that are going through it is just it's really hard to focus on the future when you're in the moment. But there's there's so much more that you will give your body and the oppor- more opportunities for your future if you take care of yourself in, in the present moment. And yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, development and going through puberty and how that changes, like the best runners are those runners that like took it, you know, took it easy and just did different, different sports through, through their teen, early teens and through that developmental process in adolescence and then, you know, found running later on. And I think that's what I would say for for moms, too, as far as encouraging girls, especially and boys, but especially girls in sports is just let kids have fun for as long as as long as possible. Like, you know, getting a scholarship to college is not the biggest thing that you can (laughs) achieve. And like, I don't know, there's just so much more beyond your teenage years or your high school you know, success, there's so much more and that is more, more meaningful and, and just give your body a chance. Um, I, I feel extremely blessed that I've gotten a second chance that I got the opportunity to have a child despite abusing my body. But that's like, you know, that's a miracle that I did because of how badly I abused my body and to sacrifice that if I could, didn't have that opportunity because of how much I abused my body, I just, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful that I've gotten a second chance. Not everybody gets that. And that's why you just have to, it's really hard to focus on the future when you're young, but there's so many more things to look forward to than winning state meet in high school. Time for a break to talk about our sponsor, Aftershocks. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but I am a sucker for a good wireless headphone on the run. And that's why every week on this show, I talk about Aftershocks. Aftershocks makes the best headphones I've ever had the privilege of wearing on the run. I am, what would you call it, earbud averse. Nothing stays put in my ears. And this has been a lifelong struggle for me. I know the hardship I have faced in my life. But when I discovered Aftershocks two years ago, I was sold, hooked, thrilled. After kissing so many headphone frogs, I had found my prince. These are the first super lightweight headphones I've found that are comfortable, that don't budge, and that totally stay put. The wrap around the ear design is built so the headphones rest lightly on top of your ears instead of inside them. It's super brilliant, and if you haven't tried them, I don't know what you're waiting for. Is it the price? Well, I can help with that. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off Aftershocks wireless headphone endurance bundles. That's ontherun.aftershocks.com for $50 off. Now let's get back to the show. You mentioned that when you got pregnant with Grace, you were fully recovered. Life was great. Um, you know, maybe other than the relationship, but we don't need to get into that part. Um, <laughs> in terms of you're recovered at that point, which is wonderful. 
getting pregnant is no joke on the body. Were you at a point where like watching your body be pregnant, were you cool with it? How was that for you? I was. Yeah. Um, amazingly, um, I pregnancy was amazing for me. I had the easiest pregnancy ever. I loved being pregnant. Um, I loved my pregnant belly. Um, so that was not um, a problem at all. I had an easy pregnancy, easy delivery, and then the most difficult first year. <laughs> so like um, the first three months were actually pretty easy and I was off work and just, you know, taking Grace on walks with Lila. And then I decided to move back to New York to be closer to family. And then that, um, I spiraled down into depression and anxiety pretty quickly there because I was kind of in the middle of the, you know, Northeast winter by myself pretty much because my parents live way out in the middle of nowhere and very isolated. And um, Grace, because I was stressed and um, depressed, I wasn't producing a lot of milk. And so Grace developed really bad colic and she was up every sleep cycle. So she was awake every Oof. 35 to every 35 to 45 minutes up screaming in, oh. in, in pain, I think because her, she had gas in her belly from nursing, but not getting enough milk and, or she was hungry or whatever it was. And so I didn't sleep at all for four months straight. And then even after that, it was a very gradual process of getting slightly more than no sleep, but I had no sleep maybe maybe a half an hour to two hours a night for four for four months from three months to seven months and then it just very gradually got better I didn't I didn't sleep through the night she didn't sleep through the night until she was like a year and a half oh my gosh um, at least so um so <laughs> so my eating disorder came back a bit that really year. um yeah oh, I didn't know that yeah yeah, I haven't really told many people that. But, but well, like, you're telling a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because because the depression and the anxiety came back pretty pretty full, and I had gone off Prozac six weeks before I gave birth because of some withdrawal that babies can go through. Supposedly, I I just I kind of spiraled downward. I I mean I again I had moved myself and my daughter and my dog and my two cats from California to upstate New York. Spent six months there, just totally depressed and anxious, and then moved back from to, from New York to California when Grace was nine months old. And then when she was 13 months old, moved from California to Washington. And that's when things started to get better. Um, but during that year of moving cross-country and not having a job, not knowing if I was you know, looking for a job, but nothing was working out, and I quit a job in New York after 10 days because they were going to... I didn't quite understand when I took the job that they were going to require me to stay in the hospital for like overnight on the weekend for call. And so I would be away from grace and she was, she was a hundred percent nursing baby. She would not take a bottle. Hmm. She would not take formula. And, and she lost a significant amount of weight when I started to try to go back to work during those 10 days. And I just like, I lost it. Like I, I was like, I can't do this, so I quit that job, and that just added to the my anxiety, like, um, and depression, just not having a job, sharing if I could provide for myself or my daughter. So yeah, things got pretty bad during that year, and not in the way that I didn't lose weight, I gained weight because I was just eating bizarre again, like kind of like eating crap food and not at a good, you know, just kind of like 
not eating all day and then eating crap and it just it was just not healthy well at some point though at some point as you're raising grace which first of all can we like collectively anyone who's listening just freaking bow down to the single mothers of the world like (laughs) i am in such like such awe the most amount of respect like i i am just I'm like clinging to every word from you because I've barely survived the first five months with a baby and I have and I have plenty of help. And like I just I think it's absolutely amazing. Grace is the cutest and thriving. And so I just I think you're amazing. And any other single parents listening, you're just freaking just rock stars with that. um, I, I just am like my jaws on the floor. So eventually, as you're raising Grace, you you're back into competitive running. You know, I mentioned that 233 PR early in the conversation. We've talked a lot about the downward slope. Tell me about the <laughs> the rise back to where you are now and getting back on the run. Yeah. So um, I think the big, one of the bigger turning points was my sister came, my older sister, Karen, who lives in Washington state. She came to visit me when I was back in California after moving from New York and back to California. And I was at a really, really terrible low point at that point. And she said something, she was going through her own stuff at that point. She said something that was really powerful to me. And it was just about having a positive outlook. I had been focusing so much on the negative and, you know, and uh, just focusing on the things that made me anxious. And she was just, she said something about being positive. And once I tried that, and once I also got back on Prozac, things turned around very quickly. And so I, you know, and I got a job in Washington because I had moved to New York to be close to family because I wanted Grace to be close to her grandparents if she wasn't going to have a father. And then that, I was like, I cannot do the East Coast winters. So I moved back to California. And then I decided to move to Washington to be close to my sister. Uh, so once I moved back to Washington, I mean, once I moved to Washington and had a job to look forward to, um, I had a couple months where I was getting hospital privileges and I wasn't working, but we had a place to live in Washington. And that's when I started to run a little bit with Grace in the stroller. And cause she, you know, she was a very intense baby. And she, she would not go down for naps. She had to be in my arm with her, have her in the baby carrier, like the Ergo or the Moby or whatever. So the only other way I had found that I could put her down was in the stroller. So, and I was, and, you know, I was starting to feel better about myself and about life. So I, I started to run and it was just kind of like, wow, I can run six miles and not hurt. And because um, the stroller was kind of slowing me down, I would always, when I started to run in the past, I run pace right off the bat. And the stroller, you know, slowed me down enough that I wasn't getting hurt. And my body was also a little bit healthier. And then that just kind of progressed, like, you know, very slowly with no specific goals in mind. Um, started running a little bit more, a little bit faster. And then I did a 5K with my sister and ran like 1910 or something. I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty huh, awesome. Casual. I ran six something pace. <laughs> so, so, and then, then I was just like, okay, that was fun. Maybe I'll actually try to do another race. So I think I did a half marathon the next March, like March of 2014. I, and I came in third and I ran like 125 and I was like, that was, that was fun. You know, this is, this is really, I never thought I could run a half marathon. Like I never thought I could run again. So I was just like, wow, this is cool. And then I just started to do a couple more half marathons. And then, and then I ran 
went on a 20 mile run with uh, Ruth Perkins, who um, you know was the big. She had been in, qualified for Olympic trials in the marathon, and she was the big runner in that in the Tacoma area at that time. And I was like, that that was pretty easy, so yeah. maybe I'll do a marathon. And, <laughs> and so then I signed. I did the local marathon, the Tacoma City Marathon, in May of um, what was it, 2016. And that was my first marathon. So I think I ran. I broke the course record there, <laughs> and I ran like two. I ran like 243. <laughs> 243.45, I think, and on a super, super hilly course. And so then, then I was like, oh, cool, I qualified for Olympic trials. If, you know, the window wasn't open at that point, but if I was to run this again, I would be able to run the Olympic trials. So then I decided to, to do another marathon, and I was like, I would, I want to, I want to break 240. And so, and I ran 238.45 for my second marathon. And then it was just like, a, that was fun. <laughs> so I did another one. So, and it just kind of every marathon, almost every marathon, I've gotten a little bit faster. I had a couple rough ones in 2017 because I went through another really rough time of my life where uh, job-wise. And um, the, so I was just, it was a very stressful time of my life. And I ran a couple 241s or 242 or something like damn that. Damn those CIM, two, so. damn those slow times. <laughs> But I get it. I do. I do. It's all relative. And it is nice to hear you say, though, that, you know, after you started running these marathons that, hey, that was fun because we didn't hear you say a lot about it being fun when you were running when you were younger. So it's nice that that perspective has changed, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like just there's this just being so like grateful and that I can even run at all, really. So that, you know, that I can run fast is just like, icing on the cake you know like multiple layers of icing on the cake but it's um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I never I never thought I would ever 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 imagined that I would be able to my body would withstand one marathon let alone however many I've done so yeah it's pretty exciting it is pretty exciting I need to shout out some of your accomplishments here so you finished eighth overall at the Chicago Marathon you were the third American you competed at the USATF 15K Championships pretty recently, right? That was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so not only were, did you come in fourth, you were the oldest in the top 10 by 11 years. That yeah. is so <laughs> badass. <laughs> yeah, that, that that gives me a little bit more satisfaction than you coming in fourth, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, then, and then you won the Miami Marathon. And my favorite thing about that is that you won it with a freaking bathroom stop. Like you're Shalane Flanagan. So, so pretty good. So I feel like uh, running is going pretty well. And you mentioned that um, even though the window wasn't open then, you have since run Olympic trials qualifying time. So is the plan to compete at the trials next year? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I definitely am going to be competing there. I, I think realistically, it's there's not a goal of qualifying for the Olympics, uh, obviously. Um, but competing in Olympic trials is, is, is I, I'm going to do it unless I'm injured. It's the cool thing is I ran in the Olympic trials in Atlanta um, back in 1996 when I was 19 years old, and um, now I'm going to be doing going back to Atlanta in 2020. Oh, that's when beautiful. I'm, when I'm, yeah, when I'm 43 years old, so it's kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, um, yeah. But next up, we've got Boston coming up. So tell yes. me, last year, last year you ran Boston, but you dropped out. Just some yes. casual hypothermia. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Granted, you came back and then won the Eugene Marathon like a couple weeks later. So you're fine. But um, <laughs> last year, Boston, we know how, you know, Boston was rough last year. Tell me how you're feeling going into Boston this year. I'm feeling like it's, I, again, it's a, it's a blessing. It's open doors that um, I didn't expect. I, my job was supposed to start March 18th here in Jacksonville, but um, my Florida PA license took a little bit longer to go through. So I'm not going to be starting until April 29th. So it, I was, I was, I wasn't planning to do Boston until like three weeks ago. And, um, you know, I was kind of just like, I'm, I'm pretty fit. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Cause I'm, you know, I can train right now. I'm not working. And so I hired, um, James McCurdy as my new coach and he's been great. And, you know, so I'm feeling like in the best shape that I've ever been in. Definitely, you know, in this recent second, you know, my comeback years, um, in the best shape I've been in. So I'm, um, I'm really excited. Um, but you know, you, you never know what Boston's going to present otherwise. <laughs> and so I don't, no, if, if in ideal conditions, I hope to run 232. Wow. In not ideal, <laughs> in not ideal conditions, we'll see, you know. So, um, yeah, just putting those goals out there. But, yeah, 232, and I would love to win the Masters and be in the top 15 are my Boston goals. <laughs> Can I just, again, I'm bowing down. I love that you're putting your goals out there. Like, concrete, a lot of people don't want to do that. And I, I love that you're like, hell yeah, these are my goals. They're big ones. Here I come. I yeah. think that's awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously, I'm wishing you all the best in Boston. It's going to be an exciting yeah. year for sure. Thanks. It helps when I'm, like, hurting in the last few miles. You know, I said I was going to do this to now on a podcast that <laughs> millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people listen to. But yeah, I mean, it helps and it just gives me that uh, accountability and encouragement to, to really keep going. But if those goals, it really, that's what, that's what having big goals is about. Sometimes you hit them and sometimes you don't. And it's not, that doesn't affect who you are as a person or, you know, what level of runner you are. Everybody has good days and bad days and it's okay to have big goals. And sometimes you hit them and sometimes you don't. So, um, but those are my Boston goals. Yeah. Okay. So you sent me an email and I loved what you said in it, which was that you want to encourage women that there is hope in recovery and that we can do so much more than imagined. I just wanted to put that out there as like a nice note to end on before the sprint. Is there anything you want to add to it? I think, well, thank you for saying that too, but I think, yeah, I think when you've been through really hard times and then, you know, get to the other side of that, um, of that period, it's, it's pretty beautiful. And, um, it, I think going through those hard times makes you a stronger person. So I feel like my strength keeps getting more and I become more confident in myself with all those hard times that I've been through. And, um, so that's, that's recovery from whatever it is, recovery from broken relationships, recovery from addiction, recovery from, you know, eating disorders, whatever it is. And I just, it's life can be so beautiful. And that's why, like, I just want to encourage and help anybody going through hard times because I've seen, I've seen the bad times. I've been there. I really have, but I also have seen the really good, the good side too. Yeah. Any advice for fellow single parents out there? Cause you're crushing it. One of the biggest things that was helpful for me was just to humility, to ask for help when you need it. I've learned to build a community um, wherever I go. And that means, you know, offering my own services and, and, you know, 
having play dates and having kids over whenever I can so that um, I can have that opportunity to ask for help or ask for, you know, uh, someone to watch Grace occasionally. So that's that's a huge thing is just building your village wherever you are. And then we can do a lot more than we think we can. I, I am blessed with a lot of energy and good health. So I'm grateful for that. And I know it's, it's a lot harder when people don't have those things. But I by having a positive attitude toward things and focusing on the positive and not focusing on the negative and the things that I can't do or the things that I don't have has allowed me to achieve things that I never could have imagined, you know, and there was a time in my life when I was going through a really hard time where I did not know if I had the ability to be a single parent. And that was just, you know, a month or two before I, I made that decision to have a positive attitude of things and then things turned around. But I, I seriously was not sure I could do it. So I think those, those fears are, are real, but I think your, the perspective you have on, on your situation can change everything. And, and you can go from feeling like you, you can't, you can't do it to achieving more than you can imagine. Well, you're amazing. And, and, <laughs> and congrats to Grace on losing a tooth today. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, she looks, she's so adorable. She is adorable. So yeah, you guys are buddies. I love it. All right. Well, on that happy, positive, uplifting note, shall we sprint to the finish? All right, let's do it. Are, is that your strength? What's your strength? Like Boston, or is there a sprint in there when you see that finish and make that oh, turn? Oh, my God. That is the thing I need to work on. So okay. it's not my strength, but it's the thing I need to work All on. All right. Well, we'll work on it right now. It's basically the same okay. thing. Okay. Training in a different way. What would yeah. your last meal on earth be? Pizza and ice cream. Favorite movie? Garden State. Favorite TV show? Game of Thrones. Biggest pet peeve? Thick people yeah. and liars. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember where you had your first real kiss? Yes. <laughs> Man, I think it was so it was at Georgetown. Um I yeah, I didn't kiss anybody until I was like 20 years old. I think or maybe I was 19. I was 19. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it's and it was with a a runner who is he's probably pretty well known, so I'm not going to mention <gasps> Wait, no, you have to. No one's listening. Come on. This no, is just between know. friends. <laughs> no one's listening. <laughs> All right, where did you have your most recent kiss? Uh, this morning. What is something you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Fail at something. Nice. <laughs> Fail at something big and then try to keep a positive attitude around it and make it you know, a positive outcome. Love that. Who was your childhood <laughs> celebrity crush? I think the first one that comes to my head, mind anyway, would be Kirk Cameron. Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> if you could run with anyone, who would it be? So I thought I was thinking about this when I was running earlier because I thought you would ask this. <laughs> I love it. And I, I, I thought like it would be Grace when she's like 15 Aww. or my boyfriend Jude because he's not a runner right now, but I think he would really enjoy it. What celebrity would you love to be stuck in an elevator with? Sarah and Ryan Hall, or That's a good one. the guy who's the the Daily the Daily Show host guy, or you, you, me. You. I'm not a celebrity. We can just hang You're out in real life. We don't have to get stuck in an. Let's not get stuck in an elevator. Let's just hang out. <laughs> what one word do you want to be remembered by? Overcomer. Tell me three things you love about yourself. I love that I have a lot of energy, even though it can become it can be annoying to some people. 
Um, <laughs> I I love that I I have developed the ability to be a positive person, and you know I wasn't previously. And I love that I love being a mom, and I can and I you know I I love it. It's like my my that's what is my biggest pride and joy is being those things. I think. Love it. All right, you know the last thing I need from you. Give everyone listening a reason to run today. Endorphins are real, and <laughs> and the neuro the transmitter benefits of running are better than any drug out there. Amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it feels really good. <laughs> well, I am wishing you all the luck in Boston. We'll be cheering you on, tracking you, all that good stuff. Go crush it out there. And and can't wait to see how you do and what the next year brings for you. Thank you so much, Ellie. And I can't wait to watch you and little Annie and Ellie every day, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Whether you're training for a race, running for fun, or taking a break from the roads, trails, and treadmills, I hope you enjoyed all the good stuff Kate and I talked about today. Hey, if you're going to be in Boston this weekend, let me know. I will be there doing a live show with Generation You Can and fellow podcasters, Lindsay Hine, Tina Muir, and Carrie Tollefson. So hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at AllieOnTheRun1 and let me know if you're coming. And then make sure you're liking and following the Alley on the Run Facebook page because we should just be friends everywhere and in real life at the live show. And of course, if you're running the Boston Marathon on Monday, good luck. Channel your inner Des Linden, show up, run hard, or, you know, you could channel your Alley Feller, which would be uh, go out too fast, slow down for a while, and then attempt to kick it in the last few meters because, like I always say, positive splits for positive people. But truly, whether you're running or racing this weekend, good luck. You got this. I believe in you. I love you. And finally, let's all give it up for Aftershocks for being the best sponsor ever and maker of the best wireless headphones ever. Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to save $50 on endurance bundles. That's all for me today. Go live your very best life. And thank you for joining me on the run.